So I think the healthiest kind of competition is to recognize what you're trying to do is create greater value than your competitor. And that comes down to a whole bunch of factors. But the first factor is how do you show up as a salesperson? Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Anthony Anarino on, uh, on the show here, and we're talking about how to deal with competitiveness in sales. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us and, uh, and give us your thoughts. So Anthony is a, a highly respected international speaker, best-selling author, entrepreneur, sales leader, specializing in complex B2B sales. He founded the B2B Sales Coach and Consultancy and is president and chief sales officer at Solutions Staffing. Anthony developed a trademarked methodology that has proven instrumental in helping sales organizations achieve revenue goals. He's best known for his work, The Sales Blog, which has helped him gain recognition as a top thought leader in sales strategy. He's also hosting the In the Arena podcast, where he interviews top sales leaders about B2B and B2C sales strategies. With that, I'll I'll jump into my first question. you have a lot of expertise in, in competitiveness and you've, you've written and spoken on it extensively. What role does competitiveness play in sales today? I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's been left behind in sales today. I don't think we're spending enough time thinking about competition. And uh, I think that that's one of the challenges that a lot of sales organizations and salespeople have is that they go through the motions like you're going to work. So it's like you punch a clock or something, right? And then you start your work. And I don't think that we prepare to compete. And really, that's what sales is about. It's about you and I both going into a client and trying to create greater value than the other one so that they prefer to work with us. And value can mean all kinds of different things to different people. But it's a zero-sum game. And I don't know that we pay enough attention to the fact that I win and you lose or you win and I lose. And even though we're both trying to do the same thing, only one of us tends to win the client. So competitiveness is at the heart of what we do. When you're out and you're selling, if you just take orders, that's a different thing. If you're in an inside role and orders come to you, that's fine. But for most of us, you know, there's this book called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. You may have heard of that book. Sure. And it's, a, it's about creating a space where you're Netflix or Uber or somebody who has no competition. Most of us live in the bloody red part of the ocean where we have to win and somebody else has to lose. And for me to grow my business, I have to take your clients from you. And uh, we don't don't talk about the the heart of competition. And when we do, we tend to pretend it's something negative. And it's not the act of trying to create greater value and a competitive advantage by helping a client and help them perform better than your competitors do. And I think that's the big spiral. You know, I, I find a way to create more value than you, then you find a way to create more value than me, and things just keep getting better and better as they have through all of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's what healthy competition will do is, is create that environment. So to you, what is a healthy versus what's an unhealthy sense of competitiveness? I, I, I just wrote a book called Eat Their Lunch, and uh, it is a book about competitive displacements. And there is definitely a healthy way to think about competition and an unhealthy way to think about it. And 
one of the things that I say in the book is that if you think you're a mafia don and you're out to destroy other people at any cost and you're willing to do things that I would say prove that you have a low moral intelligence, like cheating and like lying and doing anything possible to win deals. And I've competed against people that have competed that way uh, for, for my entire life. That's a very unhealthy kind of competition. The win at all costs, whatever it takes, is not really a good way to think about competition. It's whatever it takes within the boundaries of what's legal and what's moral uh, when it comes to competition. And, and I'll be the first to say, in a contest, I want the, the most unfair of all advantages. I want to be completely preferred. I want to have much greater rapport. I want to have every advantage I have going in, but you have to compete fair. And, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. In staffing, when I was a kid, there was an account that we, we wanted very, very badly. And I sat down with a decision maker and he said, this is the kickback I get from your competitor. Can you match or beat that kickback and, and give me a check at the end of every month uh, to have the business? And it just, it just isn't something that we would ever have been willing to do. It's unfair, number one, he's putting himself at jeopardy with his company, he's putting his company at jeopardy, taking a kickback, and I would have been putting my company at jeopardy, and it's an unfair way to win. So we walked away from the business because you just don't play that way. Yeah, I, I, I'm not totally sure, but I think you can go to jail for that. You probably can. <laughs> I, I think it's fraud of some kind. A hundred percent. And I think if the company ever found out that one of their executive leaders was taking a check from vendors, they might have had a little bit of heartburn and some suggestions about the future relationship with that individual. <laughs> That's correct. Um, a lot of salespeople, especially the ones just starting out, they, they feel intimidated by their competition and often find it difficult to deal with the pressure that comes with the position. What's your advice on handling competition in sales? Well, here, here's the thing that is difficult for people to understand. You can't do anything about your competition. There's nothing you can do about them. They're going to do whatever they do. I had uh, one competitor who went to my largest client at the time and sent them a note saying, we know what their pricing is. Here's our pricing. I can save you a half a million dollars this year. And they sent a letter to every single person on the executive leadership team of that company. And I found myself on my back foot immediately. They're like, wait a second, a half a million dollars, a lot of money. And fortunately, we were able to retain it because we were creating greater value and taking money out of their, their program wasn't going to help them produce better results. It was actually going to probably lessen their results. And they recognized that. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do anything about that. I can't stop you from competing the way that you want to compete. And if you have a new product and your product happens to be sexy and it gets a lot of attention, I can't do anything about that. So I think the healthiest kind of competition is to recognize what you're trying to do is create greater value than your competitor. And that comes down to a whole bunch of factors. But the first factor is how do you show up as a salesperson? Are you a peer? Are you a trusted advisor? Are you somebody that I want on my team? Do you understand me? Do you know how to help me build consensus in my own organization? Do you have the kind of ideas and do I believe that you can execute? And all of those things are within your control. So I think the healthiest way to look at competition and not to be intimidated by the competitor, you're always going to have a competitor that has a lower price and comes in and undercuts you. That's always going to be true. In a market, somebody always decides to stake out the low price position, even though they don't make a lot of money doing it. it they just make it easy to sell by taking price out of the equation. You can't do anything about that. You can't gripe about it. You can't go to 
the client and, and say, well, you know, they're not really making any money. They're not going to be here. Well, they've been in business for 20 years. I mean, they seem to be surviving somehow. All you can do is decide I'm going to become the best version of me that I can. And I'm going to go in and try to create greater value. I'm going to try to serve them better. I'm going to try to deepen my understanding and I'm going to try to become the way that they make decisions in their own business. And that's the healthy way to compete is to work on you because you cannot do anything about the competitor. There's nothing you can do about it. So you have to understand them. You have to know how to compete against them. You have to know what their strategies are so you can have at least have some intelligence about what you're doing. But other than that, they're not worth worrying about. I think this is really important. What, what does that conversation sound like when you're, when you're differentiating yourself against the competition what, what to, to your customer? What, what does that sound like to you? Uh, it, it, well, there's a whole bunch of ways that I think it could go, but it starts basically with Steve. Uh, there are a lot of people that are going to have a lower price than we do. And at the very outset of this conversation that we're having, I want you to know that our price is going to be probably about 8% higher than theirs. It is in most cases. And if you'll allow me to, what I'd like to do is explain to you the difference in how we perceive the business. Because even though we do the same thing, we have radically different ideas about how things should be done and why they should be done in a certain way to get better results. Can I share that with you? I, I, I can talk about them, but only so much as I am beginning to differentiate and explain why I'm different, how I'm different, and how it's going to make a difference for them. So the only thing that you can really do is contrast what you do with competitors. And honestly, the way that I would talk about it is the industry. I, I never want to single out one. I just say the industry tends to think this is the right answer. We think this is a better answer, and here's why. And then I'm differentiating. Absolutely. That, that's really powerful stuff. Um, so how can we best learn from our competitors? I mean, you, you can learn a lot of lessons from watching competitors. I can tell you, this is a long time ago in staffing and the business that I grew up in. Uh, if I ever grew up, I'm not sure I have grown up yet, but the <laughs> business that I, I spent a lot of time in, you know, we, in, in the staffing business, you would send employees and you would call to make sure that they showed up to work. I mean, that, that's just a very customary thing that you do in the business. Well, we had a competitor that started calling to check to see if our people showed up, which is one of the most aggressive things I've ever seen. But what they recognized is that if the person trying to run a business doesn't have the people they need at the moment, but when they show up at work in the morning, that's the greatest moment of pain and dissatisfaction for them. And to be standing there with a the solution and making that call opened up opportunities from them. So you do have to pay attention and say, how do I open myself up to being competitively displaced? What do they do that's worth modeling? Sending someone a note with a, a savings analysis, that's a fair way to compete. It is a fair way to compete. And you learn that there are other approaches that you might not be comfortable taking or you might know exist that you can watch your competitors and learn from them and say, wait a second, they're doing something different than we are here. I watched uh, companies come into markets where I existed and just come in and basically undercut people by a little bit, just enough that they had a giant foothold and then raise their rates inside the marketplace once they captured the, the volume that they needed. So you should be paying attention. When I say ignore your competitor, what I mean is you can't do anything about it, but you should be paying attention to what they're doing and learning from it. I mean, and if they're going to call your client and make sure that the client's getting what they want, that's fair game. You're doing the same thing. You're trying to take your, your customers, your dream clients, from your competitors at the same time. 
So as long as it's fair, I think then uh, it's good competition. Makes a ton of sense. Where do you see the uh, the sales industry in five years, and how do you think this the role of competition changes? I think it gets more competitive. I, I think there's now um, too many companies that can all do the same thing. There's far, far more competition than is probably necessary to have a healthy market in almost every business now. We've got uh, people like Vaynerchuk and other people out telling everybody that they have to be an entrepreneur and start their own business. So we have a lot of people starting their own businesses, no, no matter what it is and whether or not they're truly an entrepreneur, because it's, it's hip right now and it's sexy. It's a Silicon Valley kind of thing, right? Right. So I think you'll see, you'll see more competition. And I think you'll see uh, more commoditization if people don't focus on differentiation and why we should be doing something different than we are. And it's a Silicon Valley kind of thing for me because you look at it and for many, many years, I've gotten calls from people to talk about their new software. And every time they talk about their new software, it is a solution in search of a problem, you know, that may or may not exist, but we're creating something. So I think where it's going to be more and more challenging for people to compete, and it's this concept I call level four value, which is strategic value and not just execution value and not just product value or service value. I think if you can't differentiate, it's going to be tougher and tougher for people to survive. It's going to be more and more likely that you get commoditized. So I basically think markets are getting pulled in two directions. Amazon's pulling everybody to what I would call super transactional. How do I get the friction out of the deal? So, and Amazon hates salespeople. They don't want any salespeople if they don't have to have them. You should be able to buy anything you want online at the push of a button. The other direction is super relational. And super relational is high trust, high value, high caring. I understand you. I'm an integrated part of your team. I'm going to help you make decisions around your business that drive your business forward. That's a different role to play. And I think the people that are in the middle of these two poles, these are the people that are getting pulled. And they tend to be getting pulled down towards transactional, not recognizing that that's the easiest race to lose of all. Uh, because there's always somebody who's willing to go in at a lower price than you and be even more transactional than you. So because there's less and less value being created other than getting rid of the friction, and you're talking to somebody who has, I don't know, probably five days out of seven, there's an Amazon box on my front porch because I have a family and everything shows up in a cardboard box on the, on the porch now. Uh, they're growing up in that world. But I think the real advantage is going to go the other direction. It's going to be, can you be super relational? Can you create greater value? Can you make a difference for other people? So I think over the next five years, you're going to see more people get pulled into the trap of trying to be more transactional, trying to automate communication instead of uh, investing in it. It's something I write about uh, frequently. You know, you don't really want efficiency in human relationships. You want effectiveness. And even though an email is easier than having a conversation, the face-to-face -face conversation creates greater value and greater intimacy and greater connection and a greater preference to work with you instead of somebody else. Right. Uh, well, virtually all the people that, you know, I, that all the executives that I work with on a regular basis, um, just through, through the main thing that I do, they're, they're field sales teams and field sales people. And this is something that I see all the time. They, they're struggling with this, with this change in the landscape, the, the Amazonification of the world. And a lot of them have products that you just, you didn't used to have a channel that you could purchase it online. And, and today you, you do, you're competing with that type of experience. What would you recommend to them if, uh, if, 
if you've been selling something for the last, you know, your, your company's been selling something for the last 30 years in a certain way, face to face, high touch, and, and you have, uh, you now have the, your customers and prospects have the ability to purchase that exact same thing online, often at a cheaper price or a, a razor thin margin. You got to give them a better reason to buy from you. I mean, you, you have to go in and create greater value and, and they're not buying the product. They're buying the outcome of the product. So you have to focus on the other end of the spectrum is how do I help them produce a better outcome and why is it worth paying more to buy this from me than to buy it as a transaction and not get the same outcome. That, that is, if you want to talk about the next five to 10 years in sales, that's the, that's the fight that we're in. The fight is how do I create greater value to make it worth paying more and, and not to treat what I sell like it's a commodity. So you have to have insight, you have to have business acumen, situational knowledge, very high caring, you have to be proactive. It's a, harder, it's a harder game to play, but in the long run, it's easier because when you create enough value, you become preferred and you have a competitive advantage that allows you to beat transactional plays. For everyone, no. You're going to have some people who don't know how to make money and they have to buy the lowest price because they don't know how to make money and they don't know how to sell. They got commoditized. Those are harder people to sell to, but it's going to get pulled in two directions. I'll give you an example. I have... Uh, uh, friends in a company called Travel Counselors in, in Manchester, England. They're growing at about 12 to 15% a year with live travel agents that take care of customers. The rest of the industry has gone to being more and more transactional and they're shrinking because it's hard to compete with the internet. But it's hard for the internet to compete with someone who knows me, who cares about me, who's going to make sure that everything that I have is exactly right and it's all sorted and I don't have to think about it anymore. And when I'm in trouble, they can get me out. I mean, th th this is just two different models that are emerging. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of space in the middle anymore. Really interesting insights there. Really powerful. Tell me, what's, uh, what's one non-sales related book that, that every salesperson should read? Uh, so I've got so many of them. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And it should not only be read, it should be read uh, with a sort of frequency of maybe every couple years because you need to remind yourself. Uh, there's a little book called Mastery by George Leonard, who was a, an Aikido master. And it's about not dabbling in what you do. It's about going deep, absolutely worth going. Uh, deep work by Cal Newport. And uh, just the idea of focusing and giving yourself over to doing really good work at what you're doing. Another exceptional book outside of the world of sales. Almost anything on psychology is important for you to read because what we trade in is, is the conversation we have with other humans and understanding other human beings is probably the best competitive advantage you can have is getting a deeper understanding of how human beings operate. Yeah. The, uh, the book influence by Cialdini uh, that, that jumps to mind for me and that fits that, that bill. Childini's mandatory reading. It's absolutely something that's wonderful. I spoke with him uh, twice in a year, two years ago, and I uh, left Johannesburg, uh, the event that we both spoke at, and I had about four hours with him. We took a train together. He's a brilliant, brilliant man, and uh, that book should just be mandatory reading for everyone. Yeah, that I mean that that really shaped a lot of thoughts that I had. I, I that was uh, it was mandatory reading for for a class I took in business school, and uh, it was definitely influential to me. I made it um, in a, a part of an MBA course I taught on persuasive marketing. It was the, it was the textbook. Wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> if you had to name one critical skill or trait that a salesperson needs today, which would it be and why? 
Well, I'll give you two. So I'll give you a skill and I'll give you a, an attribute to go with it. Caring. Caring about other people and caring about helping other people is the killer app. And when people know you care about them and you have intimacy, you're paying attention to them, they understand that you're trying to help them do something, uh, that's going to create a competitive advantage. And the second one is business acumen and situational knowledge. Do you understand my business and your business well enough to be able to advise me? Do you understand the different circumstances where this thing would be better than that thing and why? Can I count on you to help me create and and build the strategic advantage that I need to build inside my own company. That's a very, very high hurdle for all of us to get over, but that's where all the action is right now. You know, we, we have this thing, all salespeople say, you know, I want to be a trusted advisor. I even see some people put it on their LinkedIn. I'm a trusted advisor. And I'm like, no, you don't get to say that. And somebody else can say that about you, but you can't say that you're that. Uh, but you only need two things, trust and advice. So if you don't have the advice, you can't be a trusted advisor. And it's the advice part where people are going to struggle. And that's probably the one thing that if you could work on anything, that would be the thing that would help you give better advice, be better counsel, become somebody's trusted advisor and a peer and help them run their business. That's where the action is now. Which two key areas in the sales process should outside salespeople focus on the most? Well, I'll tell you where the challenges are right now. There's a couple pieces. So the first piece is just getting in at all and having a conversation. So you definitely need to do a lot of work on getting what I call the commitment for time. And uh, that's a harder commitment to get. Everybody is busy right now. They can't tell whether you're worth their time or not. So you better really, really work hard at prospecting and having a pitch that gets you in front of clients. The second thing is I think discovery doesn't mean the same thing as it used to mean. It used to mean I come in and I say, Steve, I want to know what's keeping you up at night. And, and now I come in and I say, Steve, let me tell you what's keeping you up at night, or if it's not, what should be. And what you're really doing now is helping the client discover something about themselves that they don't yet recognize that leads to a conversation about what they could do better in the future and helps you create opportunities. So that's one area that you have to focus on. And the second one is consensus. You have to start working on bringing all the people who are going to be engaged or involved in a decision into that conversation. And that's, that's becoming a trickier and trickier part of the game. What is your favorite sales tool or app? I mean, for me, the greatest and the most powerful tool is what's between your ears. So I spend most of my time focusing on that. Uh, if I had to have an app, I would probably say Evernote um, just because I think being able to organize you know, there's a, a sociologist in England named Robin Dunbar. I don't know if you know Dunbar's number, but his research shows uh, because we're some sort of a primate, we can manage about 150 relationships, and that's the max. But I would argue because I'm not limited to my own brain in that substrate, I now have silicon chips. So a good CRM and Evernote together, I think I should be able to manage 150 plus another 150 because I can outsource some of that work on the maintenance as to reminding me when I need to communicate and invest in those relationships or allow me to invest in those relationships at scale. So I, I think things like that, the tools are super, super useful. Makes a ton of sense. Do you have a productivity hack that you'd like to share? I spend a lot of time working on productivity and I, I would tell you probably the greatest hack that I could give anyone and the one that I give people that changes their lives more than anything else uh, and we sell a planner at, at b2bsalestoolkit.com that's built on this concept, is uh, 90-minute blocks. 
And if you can take 90 minutes and give something your full focus and attention, you will be amazed at how much work you can actually do. So we recommend three of those a day and not everybody can get three of them into a day. But if you can give something 90 minutes, three times a day, whether it be prospecting for 90 minutes, following up for another 90 minutes, whatever it is, it's four and a half hours out of an eight hour day. It's stunning how much work that you can get done if you turn off the distractions, which means I have to shut the browser off. I have to turn the notifications off. I have to tell people you can't bother me. You have to leave me alone, uh, which is why I tell everybody, you know, do, do your first hour and a half at 530 because no one in the world wants your time at 530. <laughs> no one wants your time at four o'clock in the morning except me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it, it's being focused enough to do good work. And focus now is the cur currency of, of results and success. And the reason so many people struggle is they're distracted by so many things. You know, you get in your inbox, everything in there is real work, but it's not the most important work. So it's very easy to sit in reactive mode and try to fight the war against uh, email and the war you're going to lose the war against email you're gonna lose every time you reply to an email you get two back so I, I think that's the math on how it works so you can't run this race so you have to decide some things just have to be put off while more important things get done yeah I've, I've always loved the Eisenhower method for that one yeah and, uh, I've been losing the I've been losing the race with email for about a decade now yeah me too <laughs> you know the, the only secret to productivity is do what's most important until you complete it I mean, that, that is the secret. And if you give something your full focus and doing what's most important until you finish it, you're productive. You can be really busy and not productive, though. Well, that's fantastic advice and, and arguably life-changing advice if you could really take it to heart. So as a final takeaway, what should the field salespeople today, listening today, do to outsell their competition? What can they, uh, what can they do? I, I think, you know, I wrote a book about this, so I have a strong opinion about it. It's called Eat Their Lunch. I think you, you get to level four value. You find the business acumen and the situational knowledge that makes you a trusted advisor. And then you start shaping the client's mind share. You start shaping the lens that they look at the world through. So they're looking through this lens. You take that lens away, you give them a different lens so they see new opportunities and new challenges and the ability to address those. And then you work very, very hard at creating opportunities and building consensus inside their company to make those changes. And it turns out that the person that can create the opportunity and build consensus around it is preferred and you end up doing the best work and winning because you're competing in a different way. You're not competing on price. You're not walking in and saying, Steve, you know, my company was started in 1907 and let me tell you about our footprint and our board members and here's our great product line and here's a bunch of logos that don't really look anything like you, but they're big companies. So I want to impress you. And I want my credibility to come from my company instead of me and my knowledge and what I can do. I just think that you, you have to be somebody worth buying from. And that's probably the number one challenge for all of us. Now comes the time in the show where I, I try to summarize in, in about a minute or so uh, all the things that we've talked about today. This is, this is going to be a, this is a tough one today. We've covered a lot of really, Key concepts. So first, we heard about how we should all pay more attention to competition because it's at the heart of sales. You need to prepare to compete, meaning you need to work to create more value than your competitors do. And if there's a healthy competition, meaning no cheating or lying, we all grow and create more and more value over time. You need to understand that there's nothing you can do about your competitors and the action they take to compete with you. 
you have to make sure you understand them and you know how you can go up against them, but otherwise stay focused on yourself. Focus on creating more value than them by differentiating yourself, for example, by being a consultant and deepening your expertise, a true consultant. Contrast and point out to your prospect what you do different than the competitor and why. Watch your competitors closely, pay attention to how they behave in your industry and learn from them. In the future, sales will become even more competitive, so you should really know how you differentiate yourself in terms of creating great connections and building meaningful relationships. What will set you apart is if you show that you care about other people, you actually help them, and you have business acumen and situational knowledge. Some books that Anthony recommends reading that deepen your understanding of the human mind and psychology are Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Mastery, and Deep Work, and we also talked about Influence. A productivity hack from Anthony is doing three 90-minute blocks a day where you do focused work with no distractions. Do what's most important until you complete it. As a final takeaway, focus on creating opportunities with in an organization and build consensus around it and you'll be able to stand out against your competition. That was really good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, where can listeners read more about your work and reach out to you? Best place to go is thesalesblog.com and that's the hub of everything I do. So all the YouTube videos and the podcast go straight through that platform. Um, that's the best place to find me, but I'll connect with you anywhere, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever you want, just send me a connection request. I'm happy to connect with you anywhere. Awesome. I hope uh, everybody enjoyed this episode of Outside Sales Talk. If you have any feedback or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at feedback at outside sales dot, outside, feedback at outside sales talk dot com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to it and leave us a review. It really helps us spread the word and get more outside salespeople like you to find out about us. So take care until next week.